Well, what do you want to do real quick? Okay. I'm going to let you know, because my wife's reminding me, that Greg and Alicia are here. Right there. Stand up. So, stand up. Okay, now spin around. I'm just kidding. Um, so, Greg and Alicia are serving full-time in Guatemala. Addison's over here giving you a thumbs down. Can you believe that? Brother Addison's over here, right? Um, and so, they're getting married next Sunday. So, we get, we're going to Charleston. Yeah, we get to go do the wedding and be a part of that. Uh, but be in prayer for them. God's doing amazing things um, in them and through them. Doing And we're excited, honestly, just... As I've been praying for them, I'm just really sensing this real king. This is a serious thing, by the way. This real serious kingdom call that he has for you together. And so I just want you to know that I'm going to ask you to pray into that. There's something about two coming together as one that's going to really revamp and, and really propel you all in ministry. I really sense that in my spirit. And so we're praying alongside of you with that. And um, we're excited. So we love you guys. So be in prayer for them. It's very exciting. And then they're going to Portugal to suffer for Jesus, uh, touring there on, uh, on their honeymoon. So it's going to be awesome. All right. We love you guys. Blessings on you. Blessings. All right. Um, so talk to them after today and, and just give them lots of money for their ministry. Okay. Um, well, if you, if you do not know, have not been here, I'm going to let you know if you have been here, I'm still going to remind you. We've been in a series on family resolutions. And so you all understand resolutions. You either hate them or love them, right? But resolutions are simply decisions that we make to do or to not do something, usually for the benefit of our life. So you make these resolutions at New Year's, right, that you're going to, it's going to enhance your life, make your life better. But family resolutions are a little bit different. We say these resolutions are all about other people, and they're Christ-centered. So when Paul said, I have resolved, Corinthians, to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. So, but before Jesus, I looked at you and said, all right, Jesus, what do I need to do that makes their life better? Family resolutions. What do I need to do to make their life better? So, Jesus, would you please tell me? So they're Christ-centered, right? We're focused on looking at Jesus, asking him, what can we do? And then we do it, and it's not necessarily for our benefit. It's primarily for the benefit of those that we are in relationship with. So family resolutions, making the decisions, do what's best to make our family, to enhance our family, what's best for those that we are in relationship. And so the last couple of weeks have been focusing on, on children. And, and Gerilyn was here last week. If you were not here last week, didn't get to hear Gerilyn, our Q&A, you didn't get to hear her story and the things that she's been through that God's really done in her life. It's it's an amazing, amazing story. I, I, I had her tell it last week, honestly, because I just needed you to know her. Like some of you don't have children. You're never back there. She's not in here. And you don't get to over, overlap with her much. But you need to know her. You need to know her story and the things that God has done in her life. And then what propels her then to to love your children and pastor and shepherd them with everything inside of her. So I encourage you to go listen to the podcast from last week, listen to what she has to share and this call that she had. And in it, she did a great job of saying, you know, that the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And she says, go teach this to your children. And she made a really clear point. She said, isn't it interesting that it doesn't say, hear, O parents, go teach this. It says, hear, O Israel, as in it's the church's responsibility, the family, the people of God's responsibility to come alongside of, of others' children, right? And to invest into them. Yes, you have a responsibility as a parent also. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this, this family resolution of influence. That's the, the topic and this, the, the direction that we're going this morning, right? This, this family resolution of influence. Because we want us our vintage family, both to, in, to influence our bio families, biological, and I want you to, to bless and influence your biological family, but I also want you to, to bless the, the spiritual family that you are a part of. And so youth, let me talk to you real quick. Like, so we're gonna, I'm gonna be talking to adults this morning about, in, about investing into your life. Okay, I'm gonna talk to them about making your life better, blessing you, but I want you to hear me, everybody look at me real quick. You're older than all of the children who are back here. And I'll be honest with you, they look up to each of you much more look up to me. Why? Because you're cool and we're not. 
All right. And so as we talk this morning and you you're going to want to hear this in the context of, yeah, come tell me how awesome I am and influence me. I'm letting you know that God's already empowered you today to be cool for them and to bless them and be Jesus to them. So this is not just about a gift to you. It's what you it's a gift to you and also your responsibility to influence. Are you all cool with that? Okay, thank you. All right, so that's the idea. We're going to influence. We're going to this family resolution of influence. You becoming influencers in the context of those who you are in relationship with. And so when we talk about that, if you were if you were here last week, you know we said I'm talking about you being Mr. Kimball's. Right? If you remember here last week, Mr. Kimball's. Mr. Kimball was this guy on a Saturday afternoon who said. God just feel compelled to go and to, to give my full day to bring Jesus to this young man who does not know Jesus, who's part of my Sunday school class, right? I'm going to get the best of myself to him and go and influence him. And so he literally went down the street, shared Jesus with the guy, gave his life to Jesus, right? And that young man was D.L. Moody, who was probably the most influential Christian man in the 1800s in America. Millions of people have come to Christ through the influence of D.L. Moody, who came to Christ because Mr. Kimball said, man, he's my kid. He's my responsibility. I'm going to influence him. And we said last week we have lots of D.L. Moody's and you get to all be Mr. and Mrs. Kimball's. So as I use that phrase this morning, that's why I'm using that, okay? So the question then to begin with in the context of, of living this life where we are choosing to positively influence, right? As a decision, a family resolution, we're choosing to invest into and influence those who are a part of our life. The question to begin with is this. If you were to ask people you live around today what your influence looks like in their life, what would they say? Who would people say, I am, you are? If asked, like that has to be the beginning question, like we have to to be aware. Because whether you know it or not, everywhere that you go, you have influence everywhere that you go. There are listen because influence are how people are impacted by your presence in their life. Like, have you been around somebody that you love? Their influence. Have you been around people who you don't like their influence? And the question is, what do people say about you? Like, I don't mean that in some condemning way, right? I mean it in a sense of self-awareness. Like, man, what do I portray? What type of influence do I have? When I'm around people, what type of energy, what kind of vibe, right? What do I put out? Do people want to gather and be around me? Do they want my influence? Do they want my connection? Do they, they want this, what's coming from me, or do they not? What type of influence? If people were to say, if you were to say to people, who do you think that I am? What would they say? Jesus came and asked that question in your Bibles. You can turn to Matthew chapter 16 and also be on the screen. Matthew chapter, in, in Matthew 16, Jesus comes into this moment, right? He's hanging. He's been around a group of people, right? He's been around, hanging out. That's what he did. He's been hanging out with people. And so he comes, Matthew 16, and says this in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man himself? Who do they say he is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now, I love this. The thing I want you to see in these verses, this is important, is there are two types of people that Jesus has influenced that he's asking about. The first group of people are those who know Jesus from a distance or or know his stories or have been around as he's performed some miracles. But there's a good chance that they've never actually met him. They they may have like passed him and like done this. right? But they they don't know him personally. They kind of know him at a distance. They know him in the context of his influence and what he's done. They don't know him. And so they say, what? Who do they say? Who do they say that I am? And so they say, well, 
They say Jeremiah or John the Baptist who's come back or Elijah or one of the prophets. And, and if you don't know, those are all important people. Like high praise. Like, man, that's really, really cool. Like, that's pretty good. I'm doing well, right? I'm scoring pretty high on that, right? The, the people who don't know me think that I am this. So my influence is strong. People who are around Jesus see him in such a way, right, from a distance and like has great influence. You know, people like that, that you know them from a distance and just who they are, what they say, what they do. They have influence. But the big question, we all know this, is, well, who do you, those who know me, those who are behind closed doors with me, those who are with me 24-7 and know my idiosyncrasies and know my... Weird moments and know those tension points. Like, who do you say that I am? Like, just real quick, I mean, Jesus was a human being. So there were idiosyncrasies that defined Jesus that probably annoyed people who knew him best. I mean, don't you hate me, people who are perfect? I mean, let's just be honest, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you're so perfect. Ah, I can't stand being around you, right? No, you know, I'm getting it. It's like, there's these, he's a human being. People have tension with him, probably. This is his personality and some of these things. Like, they were drawn to him. He's like, still Jesus. He's still a guy. He's still a human being. And so, so in this moment, right, they say, who do you say that I am? And that's a dangerous and scary question to ask, isn't it? Like, if I were to just look at you and say, Randall, in full honesty, tell everybody who you think that I am, right? I'll never forget, we're doing foster care. We had, we're doing work with Faith Bridge, and, and there was this moment, uh, where, um, they asked us to leave the room because they wanted to ask Anna, Catherine, and Sarah questions about us and about our parenting. Elizabeth getting where I'm going, right? She's like, cool, right? Because, like, who knows what kind of day we were having as parents, right? And, and at the age where they were in the moment, I mean, like, I could have said to, to, to Sarah, listen, you can't have whatever it may be, and I'm a terrible parent that day, right? And she could say, well, they're abusing me by not giving you cookies, right? Whatever it may be, you know, I'm getting, right? So who knows what the moment would have been? So when, when that happened, we were like, Oh, what are they going to say, right? All by themselves. Are you sure about that? <laughs> like we're coaching them. Okay, listen, when they come in, girls, right? No, it's just like this. Ah, and so we're on the front porch just going, ah, right? We walk back in, like everybody's smiling in here, right? Like, and she's like, your kids love you. We're like, praise Jesus, right? And so there's that moment of like, ah, oh, who's the, what's the person going to say who knows me best? And Peter probably going, you are the Christ. Now, my girls did not say that about us, okay? I'm just saying, right? But Peter did. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter got it. And now, Jesus, Jesus says, the Father revealed that to you. But I'm telling you that part of that revelation was from what they had seen, If there was nothing of Jesus' life that looked like the Messiah, then they wouldn't have thought that he was the Messiah, right? His influence, both from what they were hearing from the Father and he was revealing, and and his actions were measuring up, right? They were equal, and they're coming together like this. And so what you had was Jesus creating an environment of influence so that everything and everywhere he went, people were influenced by him. You can't miss that, that Jesus literally in the moment, literally in the moment, he had created an environment of influence. What was coming from him, everywhere he went and everyone he talked to, you know, you've read it. He influenced them. He shaped them. He so influenced them that they were literally willing to die for him. They were willing to give everything like literally give up everything. They were willing to follow him wherever he went because they just want to be influenced. And then they were willing to be like him when he was gone to the point they were all martyred for their faith and their conviction of following him. Jesus had undeniable influence. And what I want you to say, and what I want you to just hear, hear, you, hear me say this morning is this, environment The environment that we create is everything for influence and growth. It is. 
environment is everything for influence and growth. So I'll just, let's just kind of put it, I didn't say this in the first service, but let's just put it in the context of like flowers, right? Put it in the context of flowers and in flowers, right? What do you do? You, you, plant, you plant them and you plant them hopefully into good soil. So if it's a positive environment full of rich nutrients and all the stuff that they need, the flowers are going to grow. But if you take them and plant a seed into something that has no nutrients and no water, nothing, right? What happens? It, it just doesn't grow. And so the context of, of family life, family life, right? We've learned this in the, in, the, in the arena of foster care. You take these children who have been a part of these, these unhealthy, negative environments, and their life is not defined by living. It's defined by survival, right? It's defined by survival. And so in this context of, of this negative environment, right, it's dangerous, it's fearful, right? It crushes children and it literally hinders their emotional growth. But you then stick a child into a positive, loving and safe environment. And what happens? It allows children to grow, to, to flourish, to expand their horizons. It allows them to dream and it allows them to look forward and to look to the future and ultimately become who they were designed to be. There's two types of environments. And Jesus had created a life-giving environment that he said, I, listen, I am the living water. Whoever connects themselves to me will live. He created this environment and everywhere he went, positive influence, right? He created an environment of influence so that everyone who's around him was shaped by him and ultimately became like him. It wasn't about survival. It was about living in the fullest meaning of the word. We need an environment. The environment needed for this type of growth is love expressing itself in the area of trust. We have to build an environment of trust that our children can trust us because we've, we're caring for them. We're protecting them. Where there's no ability to trust and have no confidence, there is no growth. So it's interesting. We did this training called TBRI, Trust-Based Relational Intervention. It's a style of parenting specifically for those children who've experienced trauma. We've done this training several different times, and each time it's so new and so fresh. We're like, oh, it's so good, right? But in the context of it, the whole idea is they say children in the very first year of life is when they learn how to trust. They learn how to trust because when they cry, someone comes, right? So you hear a child, like, it, you know, when you have a newborn, they come in, and at 11 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock in the morning, and 1.30, and like 1.59, and 2.03, and 2.08, right? No, it's like all this crime against Chansey. You know what I'm talking about right now. Yeah, you know, it's like this whole dynamic, this whole, this whole, this whole dynamic going down of these, ah, right? And so in the moment, what do you do? You're like, ah, they'll take care of themselves. They'll, they'll survive. No, you're like, gosh, it's good parents. You get up. Oh, my gosh, you're stumbling with your hands like this, and you're like you're blind walking out, right? Where's the baby, right? It's like, wake up, wake up, right? And, and you walk in, and you pick the baby up. Why? They're crying because they're hungry or they're thirsty or because they just whatever, right? It's like they cry, and, and they want to be held, And when you hold them after they cry, Russell, when you do this with the one you got at home, all of a sudden their brain begins to grow. Literally. I wish I had it. I apologize for being a bad pastor. But I have a picture of two brains. One's a trauma victim, a child raised in like an orphanage where there was no one, no touch ever happened. And then a brain over here of a, of a child who was in a loving environment with parents who loved them. And there's lots of color and life in this one. And the trauma victim over here, it's like lots of dark splotches because the brain had literally not developed. Karen Purvis, this doctor out at TCU, she said literally 
you have to then take, let's say you have to take a 12, 15 year old child who literally has the brain of a three year old because they've never actually learned how to trust. It's all about survival. So they, she said, she said, in our studies, this take, it says it takes one month for every year of that child for that actual trust to be writ, to be created again in the context of their brain. And so we say, Jesus creates that environment for us. He created it for his disciples. And we want to create the environment here for all of our youth and for all of our children that they are loved, that they can have trust built. Because when they trust, what they're trusting is that someone will care for them so they don't have to think about survival. They can think about life. Simon Sinek, in one of his TED Talks, he creates an image that looks just like this. He said, <clears throat> this, is where it's, this is where it gets really cool. He says, so, that, so you put that and you're thinking about your family, my parenting, right? But he talks about this. He said, back in the old and long, long, long time ago with like saber-toothed tigers type stuff, he said, back in the day, he said, the tribe... And its leaders and its families recognized one of the primary calls on their life was to care for their children and to keep them safe. And so they had the circle of safety that they understood the tribe possessed. Because outside of the tribe were all of these dangers. Danger here, danger here, whatever it may be. It could be people, it could be animals, it could be whatever, storms, it could be anything, right? And they said the tribe understood that it was a, listen, it was a tribal responsibility to keep all of the children inside safe. Like, do you see where I'm going? Because we're a tribe. Vintage is a tribe. The church is a tribe. That we are to care for and protect and to guard our children. Listen, Anna, Catherine, and Sarah, praise God, are mine. I love them. And, praise God, they're yours. They're yours. Every child back here belongs to me. Every one of the youth right here and spread out across the room, they belong to me. They're my responsibility. Why? Because I'm the leader of this tribe. And I have a responsibility. And you are leaders in this tribe, and you have responsibilities. Listen, it's why I said that in, in, in God's eyes, there is, there is bio family and spiritual family, and they are equivalent. Your responsibility to my children is equivalent to your responsibility to your children. I may spend more time with my children, but it's a dual responsibility. It's equal to all these kids back here. Your kids don't get to leave, leave the nest, and you're good to go, and now you can travel the world and be completely free. No, you have a responsibility right here. And the beautiful thing that happens in the context then of this, or this place where we help them so that they're safe, so they can dream in the context of vintage, is that when we then model, as Mr. Kimball did, as we model for them, then they do what they've seen. That's the point. It's like... We want our children to sacrifice and to love well and to give of themselves and to serve others and to be kind and considerate. Then we need to model it because in the context of the tribe, they only do what they see done for them. Think about southern hospitality. Why do men open doors for women in the south and not in the north as much sometimes? Hypergeneralization here, right? It's because their daddy told them, if you don't, <laughs> right, you're in trouble. That's what you do. You hold the door and they walk and say, yes, ma'am. Why? It was modeled. It was expressed. It's who they were. And so in the idea then here, again, I'm bringing it back. It's modeled. Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, 15, as I have done for you, model, so do for others. We're getting at this morning again. We have to make a family resolution of influence. You need to know you have an environment of influence you already possess. What is it do you know? Because the environment we need to create, to go back to that circle, is we have to create the circle analogy here that there are dangers all around and we have to be 
the tribe that creates safety so that you're investing into my children and I'm investing into yours and we're all doing this together. Listen, everybody hear me real quick. This is totally an aside. The great tragedy in church today is it, on average, people go to church one every out of every five Sundays. Westridge, I was talking to their, all their pastors the other day and they, and they were talking, they were lamenting. I said, oh my gosh, we've been struggling. It's like we did this big study to figure out, like, we have five, 6,000 people that show up at Easter and 2,000 adults that show up on Sunday morning. And we're trying to figure out, like, is that 4,000 unreached that we aren't reaching? And he said, we've came, we came to the realization, no, actually, that's everyone who thinks that Westridge is home. Because they only show up once every, one out of every five Sundays. Do you know what? I keep track of every single one of you. It's the same here. I'm just kidding. I don't do that, right? No. There's this dynamic that people think they're full-time vintage people because they come out one every four Sundays, five Sundays. And the problem with that, like, I'm not going to say, you're insane. I'm not going to say that because you have stuff going on. I get it. But the problem is your children are not known. To be honest with you, you're not known. And then you leave vintage because nobody knows you. And I'm like, you show up 12 Sundays out of the entire year. How can anybody know you? And I'm not, I'm not trying to say, so you better be here. I'm just making a point. Like, you see what I'm getting at, right? It's hard to be known and to know if we're not around to influence and be influenced. The tribe. Could you imagine leaders like, yeah, I'm just going to show up to one kind of one thing. I'm only going to take care of the kids one Sunday of the entire month, right? It wouldn't make any sense. No tribe has to do it together. And so the context then is, I have done for you, so you must do for others. If it was done for me, therefore I will do it for you. Jesus modeled this trust and safety in his tribe with his disciples. He guarded them. We're going to look at this in a second. He protected them. It's a beautiful scripture talking about his protection, right, during their time here. And then he said, I want you to do what I've done. I want you to, I want you, like I, I've created the circle. Let me think about it. You had Simon the terrorist, who was one of the disciples, Simon the zealot, right? And on the flip side, you have his arch enemy over here, Matthew the tax collector. Like, I guarantee you, they sat like on opposite sides of the room, probably the first year of following Jesus. I guarantee you, they, like Matthew lived in fear, like he's going to, he's going to like put the knife in me when I'm not sleeping, right? And Simon's going, God help me not to put the knife in him while he's sleeping, right? No, they lived in tension, right? And Jesus created this like environment of influence so that by the end, a guy like John, John, who was known as the son of thunder says, no, 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 no. I've been so influenced by the environment of Jesus. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Self-description. Ah! Oh, Jesus. Environment of influence. It's so good. And you modeled it. And since you modeled it, and now I'm your disciple, and you told your disciples to do as you did now, I get it. You're calling me to do the same in my tribe. Vintage 242. Influencing your children, influencing my children. I influence my children, I influence yours. We must build an environment of influence and cultivate trust at home and cultivate a culture of influence here and cultivate trust in the context of our children here at Vintage that this feels safe because we have lots of D.L. Moody's. We have lots of D.L. Moody's. So, what I want to do is this. I want to kind of lay out six. Everybody say six. I'm going to lay out six practical steps that we can take in the context. Let me say this. Next Sunday, you have to have ten. And I'm literally, on Sunday, next Sunday, I'm going to point somebody out. I may not know your name. I'm going to point you out if I remember you being here. And I'm going to ask you to give me the extra four. Okay? 
I'm not going to do that. But I want you to do it anyway, okay? I want you to go home and create another four. Because six is kind of a lame number. Ten's an awesome number, okay? So I'm giving you six. Now you have like four empty blanks underneath that. I want you to come back and give me the extra four, okay? So I'm going to go through these fairly quickly, some of them more quickly than others. Number one, practical stuff that we can use, that we need to engage to create an environment of trust and so that people can be influenced in this tribe of safety. Number one, know and love Jesus. You need to know and love Jesus. How can I influence someone if I've not been influenced? You need to have such a worn down path to Jesus that anybody can get behind you and follow the path straight to Jesus. Know and love Jesus. Know him. Love him. Never call me to answer simple questions about Jesus. So is Really? So did Jesus really die? So you talk to my kid about it. What? Yes, he died. He was resurrected. Easter, right? No, the whole dynamic, right? No, you need to know. You need to love Jesus. It needs to ooze out of you. Number two, know and love your spouse. Do you know people who the spouse does not express love to their spouse that decreases credibility in everyone's eyes because children know fakes. They know when you're faking. At home, they know. What's wrong, Daddy? Nothing, I'm fine. Really? What's wrong? (laughs) They know. And here's the deal. People, listen, you may think you're getting away with like, Putting a good face for some people, but my kids know when you're not being nice to your spouse, they come home and talk about you. <laughs> so and so was really mean today, right? I'm like, they're having a bad day, probably, right? Let's pray for them. No, you know, I'm getting at kid, your kids are the same. Like, Mr. Pastor Steve was really not being that nice this morning to me, right? Like, they, kids are aware. They know when you're faking it. They know credibility when they see it and when they don't. Love your spouse. Or love the people you're in primary relationship with. Listen, I mean, you know it at school. You know that person who, like, is really nice to the adult, and then the adult walks away, and they're a complete jerk, and not nice, and they're mean, and you call them hypocrites, and you just don't like them? That's your different, right? It's like, you know, don't be that person. Man, be the person that everyone looks at and says they are. Listen, they are the same to everyone they meet. They are so kind, considerate, loving, and nice. Number three, build a culture of affirmation. Build a culture in your home and everywhere that you go. You produce, you express an environment of affirmation. Because we said before, affirmation builds, criticism tears down. Affirmation builds, criticism tears down. We must be highlighting and naming what we love. We must highlight and name what we love about those that we're influencing. I'll say that again. We must highlight in our children, your children, my children, our children, what we love. Highlight it and then name it. Here's my question for you. With your children, with other children around you, Can you easily and confidently name what you love about them? Or are you more aware of the things you're frustrated about? Which things are you more aware of? We don't know what's going on, do we? It's okay. Hand me that microphone, please. Here we go. Now, Affirmation. With your children, start with your children. Or start with your parents. Those of you who don't have children yet. Which is easier for you to describe what you just massively love in your children or in your parents or what frustrates you? What do you spend more time talking about with them, critiquing to make them stronger or affirming who they are? By nature, as parents, we live most aware of what we're frustrated with, don't we? 
And so in the context of our life, we have to discipline ourselves to find the things that we love so that we can affirm no matter what's going on in their life. Because affirmation builds trust. Scott is safe because he loves me and I know he loves me because he's told me and he's expressed the things he's aware of in my life to let me know it's safe for me to be with him. Is it safe for people to be with you? Is it safe for your spouse to be with you? The person you critique the most is your spouse. You're always naming things they need to fix. Children's the same way. We obviously must correct our children. We obviously must discipline them. But affirmation must always trump correction and criticism. I've told you before, it's the Oreo. I think you're awesome. Here's what's wrong, but I think you're amazing. It's the Oreo. You put the bad stuff, you add this critical piece right in the middle, and everything else is how awesome they are. Why? Because they are. God thinks they are, so should we. Number four, spend time with our children. Spend time with our children. Like, not just like the, the holy, I'm going to spend all day in prayer with them. Your kid's going to walk out bored, right? No, you spend time with them. You express in the influence of your life an environment of love and of trust and of joy and of faithfulness and confidence. And they just love being with you, right? It's like coach their teams. And I don't just mean like coach your kids' teams. Jim Adcock came and coached my kids' teams with me. Shelly came and coached too, Right? I mean, I watched, this is so cool. I was telling the first, first service, man, I was watching videos the other night um, just by myself because the girls were getting ready for bed, and I was, like, pulling up old videos. And I love watching the girls' old softball videos, right? They were really good, and they would hit the ball hard. And so there was one night I couldn't be at the game, so Randall was, like, literally recording every single one of the at-bats and then sending it to me wherever I was. I think I was speaking somewhere. And in the video, I think it was AK, up the bat. And AK turns on a ball. She sends it straight up the middle for a hit. And Jim comes into the screen and just goes, my girl, that's my girl, that's my girl. I'm like, oh, yes, that's it. We're a tribe. It's my girl, too. Oh, y'all share her all day long. Thank you for loving her well. So good. Shelly come into the games and she's clapping and cheering. There was one day Jim couldn't be. So Shelly came in the dugout, right? And doing stuff. She got kicked out, but I fought for her, right? I did fight for her. I got into this, I got an umpire, I want to say, I got in this umpire's face with my arm around and says, you will never say, speak to me that way ever again in the field and speak to one of my people like that ever. Defend my people. All right. So coach their teams. Go to their sporting events or extracurricular activities. Please, no cheerleading. Excitedly take them shopping. I'm just kidding. I love cheerleading. I hate it. Okay, so excitedly take them shopping, right? Excitedly take them shopping. Nobody excitedly goes shopping with their kids. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, oh, shopping. This is going to be great, right? Like, I'll never forget. We, Anna, Catherine, and Sarah and I, we were at a retreat this past summer in, in Florida, and we were going to drive and meet Randall in Charleston. We got there about eight hours early. So we went to King Street, downtown Charleston. And they're like, let's, I was like, let's, let's just go shopping. And they're like, and Anna, Catherine, because she's she got like, are you sure, Dad? And Sarah's like, yeah, this would be great, right? So we start walking down King Street. We go into a store. Sarah buys this really cool College of Charleston hat because where she wants to go. She looks great in it, by the way, I'm going to say. She wears her hat well, right? And so we're walking down. She's sporting the hat. We fit in. We go to this. We go, we go one of these little shops, right? And we, it was a boutique. I didn't know what that was until later, right? I went to a little boutique, and we walk in. And Anna Catherine finds these pair of jeans, right? Now, <clears throat> All of you know what you're supposed to do, ladies. You look at the price first, right? I didn't do that. So she tries them on. They look great on her. I mean, I'm like, oh, babe. Those are, and like, I had to get in. Here's the deal. This lady, I had to like, listen, my wife's not here. I don't know what the heck I'm doing, right? I'm just shopping with my daughters because I love them. I'm having a great time. We had a great time, honestly. But it's like, but we're sitting there, and she's like, okay. And she's coming in and helping, helping, helping. And then Anna Catherine kind of walks out and says, my gosh, but they're great. She's like, I get them. I'm like, oh, wait, how much do they cost? And she goes, I'm like, what? She goes, 250 bucks or something like that, right? Maybe 150. I'm like, duh, ha, ha. I'm like, 
pick him up and let's run, right? You know, it's like, no, but it's like we were having great times. This is a great story. This is a great memory, but shopping excitedly. Again, I'm just giving you practical things. These are things that you build trust in because they know you want to be with them, that you actually care. It builds it. It influences them, builds this level of trust, right? Let them just, listen, your kids love video games and have them teach you how to play Put up with it when they make fun of you, and then as they destroy you, you just laugh, right? And they and because you're enjoying time with them, or or listen, kids today, they just love taking selfies. So like, go, hey, let's take a selfie together. The first response is, oh my gosh, mom, okay, right? And it's like, take do these things, right? When you go to Starbucks, not every time, but once in a while, buy a venti caramel frappuccino for them, right? Not just a tall, right? Do something, go out of your way, love them, express love, enjoy them, let them know, right? Listen, let them know that you enjoy being with them, whether they're your kid or somebody else's. I have to say, is Sandy Gilliman here? There she is right there. I'll never forget. This is another side story. This is not a, this is a second service story. I'll never forget at Christmas that she took my kids and we'd had this conversation. Like she went, and so Sarah went home telling Sandy how I had promised to get Sarah a dog when she turned 12. And that's all she told Sandy, right? So what does Sandy do? She walks in, and I thought she was joking. She's being dead honest. I'm really frustrated with you, Steve. I'm like, why? She's like, you promised to get your daughter a dog when she turned 12, and you didn't. You have to stay true to that promise, <laughs> right? I'm like, duh, you're scary, <laughs> right? And we had a long conversation about that whole dog, and she understood, right? We're going to get a dog sometime, but, but, but here's the point. I got walked away, and I told my, in fact, I told my dad this other day, Sandy. I said, I love that Sandy Gillum stood up for my daughter to me, <laughs> right? Like, I... Like, I'm not sure she was completely okay doing that, right? No, but it was so awesome. I'm like, oh, I love that someone cares for my kids to defend them, even to their own dads. Beautiful, right? So here we go. One of my favorite things to do, we love this, our girls, is we love to pull out old videos of them and just watch them and then laugh and to tell the stories about the videos they're watching, right? So beautiful, right? So number five, uh, defend and protect our children, Defend, right? Remember this whole thing up here? Defend, circle of safety here, right? Defend and protect our children. John 17, Jesus is thinking about dying. He's thinking about being betrayed. He knows what's coming. And so what does he do? He prays for the ones that he loves. John 17, the most, listen, this whole prayer, most important prayer in all of the Bible, bar none. Jesus prayed this prayer for his disciples, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I will, I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Listen to this. While I was with them, I protected them. I kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture will be fulfilled. It's Judas Iscariot. Jesus is basically coming and saying, when I was here, I built the circle of safety. That's what I did. I guarded, I protected, I fought for. Do you know how many times people wanted to stone the disciples? Because they were being heretical and worshiping, you know, loving Jesus and following Jesus. And Jesus protected them. He just said, not happening. These are my kids, Right? And he's leaving, and he's overwhelmed by that, right? And his flesh going, oh, God, I'm leaving. And I protected them. When I leave, Father, protect them. And I'm just saying for each of you, in the context, whether they're your children or somebody else's children, that you have a responsibility to guard and protect, right? There are things maturity-wise that they cannot handle. So you have a, a responsibility, a, a responsibility to come alongside as a good, as a good parent and, and to set boundaries for them, right? And I'm not going to go down a list of like, do this, dum, 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 dum. like, you know what I'm talking about. There are things they can't handle seeing and they can't handle hearing, they can't handle doing, right? They can't handle experiencing and you have a responsibility to love them and to figure out what those boundaries are and to set those up. And then you have a responsibility to figure out what boundaries to bring down because sometimes you set up too many boundaries. I, so I can't tell you what to do, what not to do, right? You need to figure it out. But you have a responsibility to care for and to love and protect them. But on the flip side, I want you to hear this. This is the biggest one for me. 
They need to know that when they choose poorly, that you will still stand right beside them, that you will protect them, that you will love them, and that you will be with them. Come hell or high water, that you will be with them. I'll never forget one of my favorite stories, and I chose, I chose correctly in this one, but still I may not have, and the result would have been the same. I told you the story before, so you haven't heard it, it a long time ago. I was like nine, and I used to go back and forth in the, my backyard to go through somebody's yard to get my friend's house. And so this new couple moved in. They didn't like me walking through their backyard. And so they said, they yelled at me one day. I'm like, I just never went back through the yard. Well, like about two weeks later, that lady of that house calls. My mom answers the phone. It's right after dinner, right? It's like 6.30, 7 o'clock. And, and this lady goes, today I was standing in my, in my back, in my kitchen looking at the back door, and I saw your son pick up rocks and sticks and throw them at my dog. And my mom said to her, that does not sound like something Steve would do. She says, well, I saw it with my own eyes. She goes, well, my son's standing here. I'll ask him. And so she came up. She's like, Steve, this late, so-and-so's on the phone. She said, you did this. And I'm like, mom, I'm like, no, I promise. I didn't do it. I promise I didn't do this. I don't, I, I don't know who did that. I would never do that. I haven't been through a yard since that one time. Two weeks ago, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, and like, so I'm thinking she's going to be mad at me. My mom's not going to believe me. And she, she goes, she goes, my son said he didn't do it. Therefore, he didn't. He doesn't know who did, and I'm sorry it happened, uh, but it wasn't him. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then the lady, I could hear her, raises her voice and starts calling me a liar and starts calling my mom a liar. And, and all of a sudden, my mom rose up and let her have it. I'm sure there's some word, choice words in there, but they were holy. Because she was defending her son. Everything's okay in defense of your son, your daughter, right? No, she probably didn't. She, was just like, she starts going off to the point my dad goes like this because he had never seen my mom ever do that in the history of her life. And my dad comes walking over and just grabs the phone. She's like, <sighs> like this. And then she goes, he just goes, you've heard my wife. Have a great evening. <laughs> and hung up. And I'm like, from that moment on, I knew my mom always had my back. Forever. She's in heaven probably talking to Jesus about me. Now make sure you do this for Steve, Jesus. Right? Because she's, whatever. And so, she's great. She's, she loves me. And so in the moment, right, she defends, she protects. Well, what if I had actually thrown the sticks in the stones? What if I'd actually done those things? Well, she still would have stood there beside me. She would have made me go down and apologize, probably pick up every rock and stick in the entire yard, right, and throw them somewhere else, whatever it is. And, but she would have stood with me because that's what you do. And so with your children and with our children and with my children, you have to defend, you have to protect, you have to create this circle. So for our youth, like you all know that Timothy has your back. But you need to know that I have your back at all times. You say, you don't even know me. I don't care. You're part of our tribe. You're part of our tribe. You belong here. You're part of our family. You're part of my family. And you belong here, and we will be there. But what if I do this? Well, don't do that. But if you do, then we'll stand with you. And they will stand with you. And if they don't stand with you, then I will have a conversation with them. That's what they do. So we defend, we protect, we fight for, we stand with even when they make bad decisions. What does that do, Steve? It builds an environment of influence and trust. And the last thing is super simple. Let Jesus talk saturate your home and everyone that you're around. Let Jesus talk saturate your home. All I mean by that, I don't mean like literally like, well, let's go read together in Matthew. No, I'm saying like, oh my gosh, I was in prayer. Like you're talking about Jesus. I love him. He's so great. Or you're talking about Jesus in context. Like what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? What do you need? What are your struggles? When listen, when every kid somewhere between the age of 13 and 16 has that moment of questioning their faith, 99.9% of them, how are you going to handle that moment? You're like freak out. Go, oh my gosh. Oh, no, no, no. You expect it. Like, let's have a talk. Let's talk. We have Jesus talk. Those are my six for you. What are the last four? You need to go create them. 
I literally may point fingers next week and ask just to see who did their homework, right? So you better do it. You never know. It's like a pop quiz, right? So create the next four because let me say this. I'm, this is important. I'm talking about all of these things. I'm literally like done in two minutes. I'm talking about all these things, but here's the thing. I can't make you do anything. You need to recognize what is Jesus speaking Where is he asking you to be aware of your broken places? Where is he asking you to be honest about your influence or lack thereof? Where is he talking to you about the energy that you're putting forth that people are experiencing when they're around you that's maybe maybe not so great that you need to shift? Where are you in the context? And what is he putting his finger on directly that you need to be honest with? So. Family resolution, influencing our children, influencing my children. We're a tribe together, right? Creating this place of safety because there are dangers all out. Because we want our children to be the next DL Moody's. We want them to be able to dream and to believe and to look forward, not just have to survive because no one's caring for, fighting for, and protecting them. That's our responsibility. It's on us. My kids are your kids, and your kids are my kids, and our kids are our kids. And what does that look like for you? We must be those who positively influence everywhere that we go, every day. The last question goes back to the beginning. So in all of this, who do people say that you are? Who do they say that you are right now? And I would say in the moment, are you influencing? Or is today a perfect day for you to begin? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, God, just for the influence that we have. We thank you, God, for our youth, that they're like a step ahead, but there's still those we get to protect. We are leaning into them, beginning to entrust them with things. We thank you for our children, Lord, that we get to fully protect, fully guard God and come alongside of them and in all of their lives, Jesus. We we are looking at you, God, and saying, Christ, what would you have us do in the context of, of environment, of influencing Jesus? What are we doing? What are we called to? And so, Holy Spirit, I, I just simply pray this morning that you would awaken us, that you would simply awaken us, Jesus, to the areas you're calling us to influence to build trust, to cause brains to literally grow and expand. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. This morning in response, I want to invite you, offering baskets, expression of worship here to come for offering. Back here is a little silver box. You can put your offering in here or a giving kiosk outside if you want to give online. We also, we have communion available just to remember and to celebrate Jesus' sacrifice of worship and of thankfulness, what he's done for us. And ministry teams are going to come forward now. And these are just teams that say they want to pray for you, whatever. Something going on with your family, they want to pray for you. Something that you need help with, they want to pray for you. Something that you, that you want someone to partner with you in prayer for anything going on in your life, they'd love to pray with you. Whatever's going on in your life, we'd love to come alongside and pray with you. So you respond to the Lord, leads. I'll come back in a minute and officially close us out. But you respond as the Lord leads this morning.